0: Scripture today comes from the book of Genesis, 37th chapter, beginning in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning.
1: To begin our time, I want to do something this morning. With this whole section, would you stand for a moment? All right, and let's see. I think looking around this section, would you stand? All right, so I want everyone who is seated, I think I'm doing my math right. The number of people standing in the room right now represent the percentage of blended families in the United States relative to the size of this congregation of people in the room. You may be seated. Forty percent of families in our country are blended. That means that there is a mom and a dad and there are children from two different relationships, either a mom, a, a and a dad were divorced, or if there was a death, if there was some reason, uh, an adoption of some kind, uh, where it makes a blended family, traditionally called stepfamilies. And uh, it is a story that uh, sometimes churches avoid. So I am in a blended family. When I married Wendy, she was a single mom. And so Hannah was six years old when we got married. Hannah's in this service today. Hannah was six years old when we got married. And Hannah didn't call me dad. Uh, She didn't know how to say her R's, so she called me Joey. And uh, that uh, that was my name. It was Joey until one day, I don't know how long it took, she started calling me dad. I didn't think that I should insist that she call me dad even though I began immediately adoption process and I adopted her as my daughter Uh, Because I thought I needed to earn that, honestly. I I thought I need to earn being dad in her life. And so there was no insistence on what she called me. I know she was thrilled once the adoption went through because it's a lot easier to spell Lewis than (laughs) Blackwelder. And so that was her name before the adoption, her last name. And that took a whole string of letters when you're in kindergarten and first grade. And so uh, thus began our marriage in a blended situation where for six years, Hannah was raised by a a woman, a very capable single mom who didn't need my help raising her daughter. She uh, could have done an amazing job without me, but God brought us together. This morning, we encounter a blended family. One, unlike I imagine you've ever encountered. Jacob is the father, and by the time we encounter him in Genesis 37, his name has been changed to Israel. Don't let that confuse you, uh, because we tend to think of a place when we think of Israel, but Jacob's name has been changed to Israel. I love the honesty of Scripture. That it includes a story like this is phenomenal. And I don't know if it has ever occurred to you, if the Bible were being written today, you would prefer that some of the chapters of your life not be included, amen? Yes, but this chapter is included. And it is from this negative example of a blended family that we discover some positive principles of how to be married and how to do family life. Now, this is the first sermon I've ever preached specifically in all of my years, specifically to blended families. But I promise you, if that isn't your dynamic, the principles fit. The first one is this, spouses love one another faithfully. I toyed with, should it be faithfully or should it be fiercely? I I think it could be either. Jacob had 12 sons by four wives. Now that's a blended family. And my point is that one wife was enough, amen? One was. His first wife was Leah and he had five sons by her. And then he had a wife uh, called Bilhah, and he had Dan and Naphtali by her. And then there are Gad and Asher born to Zilpah. And finally, there's Joseph and Benjamin born to Rachel. He had four wives, 12 sons. Uh, This chapter begins with, these are the generations of Jacob. Uh, That's uh, a line that you would translate today or paraphrase today let me tell you about my family now notice what comes right after it joseph being 17 years old was pasturing the flock with his brothers he he was a boy because he's 17 with the sons of bilhah and zilpah who were men they're older and joseph brought a bad report of them to their father, he was a tattletale. He was a snitch. Nobody likes a tattletale, do they? And so they didn't either. And this story then unfolds in that way. Multiple wives, which is more common in the Old Testament than it ever ought to be, was not God's plan then, nor is it now. And I'm going to drop myself into the proverbial landmine and risk offending you this morning. Neither is divorce. I realize that I risk offending today with this sermon It is not my intent at all. I desire never to be offensive. If the gospel is offensive, let it be. If God's word is offensive, let it be. For those of you who sit here today scarred by a divorce, not of your doing and not of your choosing, these words aren't intended for you. You were dragged into and through a divorce, kicking and screaming. What I speak to today is a cultural reality that has devalued and redefined marriage in such a way that has resulted in an easy pursuit of divorce. Let's go to Malachi for some insight. That Old Testament later prophet. Malachi writing to God's people says, And this second thing you do you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Now, they come to the temple to worship and God isn't listening. But you say, Why not? And Malachi answers, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Malachi says, God was watching when you chose to be faithless to your wife. God was watching when you chose to cheat on your husband. Did he not make them one with the portion of the spirit in their union? What is Malachi saying? Malachi is saying that God is the one who designs marriage. God is the one who takes two people and makes them one. And he puts the spirit to work in that union to create that marriage. And what was the one God seeking? Malachi asks. Godly offspring. He was looking for godly children. Let me bring, I look back and see Josh running our sound who does an amazing job. Let me bring Josh and Summer, who's sitting right back here, together as husband and wife and the result will be godly children. That's his desire. Godly offspring. So... with warning for husbands and wives. Your marriage is God's doing. And since it is, when you tinker with it, you tinker with God's design. Your marriage is God's plan. And when you mess with it, you mess with his plan. I don't know if it has occurred to you that the very first move of Satan was to come into the garden and divide the man and the wife. The first thing he did was to separate Adam from Eve. And if he could do that and unravel the first family, guess what? Those of you who sit here who are married today, he's coming for your marriage too. He will not rest, he will not be satisfied until he can come into your marriage and use whatever tool, whatever technique, whatever temptation he can to divide and conquer, to pull you apart, to drive you apart. When Trent was 15, he had saved up some money to buy his first vehicle. And our deal was we'll pay half up to a certain amount. And so he found, we found, a 1997 Jeep Wrangler. White with a black top. It was in Gaffney, South Carolina. A Craigslist find, I think. And so we found it, and he and I drove down, and we test drove it. And when we did, he said, Dad, this is what I want. All right, son. He went over and I said, do you want to negotiate the deal? He said, I do. So 15-year-old, he walked across the parking lot. I stood by the truck and he went over there. And when he did, sure enough, he came back and he had cut 500 bucks off the asking price. And so he spent half his half hours $5,500. He got in the truck, and we're headed up the road from Gaffney. we got to come back and get the car, get the Jeep, and we're headed up the road. And he looked over at me, and he said, I'm broke. (laughs) I said, welcome to adulthood. This is real life, son. This is how it works. It was a nice Jeep. Everything original on it, in good shape. Good deal, nice Jeep, but not to Trent. It wasn't high enough. Uh, The wheels weren't big enough. The rims weren't black enough. The top wasn't nice enough. Uh, the, the, The wheel wells, the wheel covers, all of those had to be changed. I have never worked on a vehicle so much in all my life. Hated it. He loved it like a giant Tonka toy. And he'd find something else. And Nathan Banner told me, he said, Jerry, do you know what Jeep stands for? No, just empty every pocket. (laughs) I found that to be true. What my pockets, I wasn't spending any more money on the thing, but Trent would work, find something, work, find something. My point is this, that's okay with the 1997 Jeep Wrangler, but it isn't okay with your marriage. You were not designed to somehow take God's place and start to tinker with and start to rearrange and start to undo and start to unravel marriage. I just want to say to you this morning, it does not matter to me how high the court is or how low the court is that makes whatever decision about a definition of marriage. No, marriage is God bringing a man and a woman together, infusing his spirit, making them one so that they come together and they raise up godly sons and daughters. That's what Malachi says. We've devalued that. And Malachi issues a warning. Guard yourselves in your spirit. When I do premarital counseling with couples, I I say to them, there are three enemies of your marriage. Satan, there's the world. The whole world system doesn't want your marriage to work. Satan is the prince and power of the air, so that makes sense. And the third is your own sinful nature. You'll fight at times with your own sinful nature desires. Spouses, love one another faithfully. Parents, the second powerful principle, love your children and theirs too fairly. What do you mean? If you have children who are not your biological children and they live in the house with you as a blended family. It isn't always easy to love those children like your own. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons and because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors, bad move. Right? Hey, this is my favorite. Let me sew him up a robe. Then everybody will know. And that's what he did. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, Israel, think, Jacob, if that confuses you, has a favorite. And parents, you can't have favorites what do we call that when someone's the favorite the what child the golden child right the golden child the funniest thing happened in the early service I said something about the golden child and just like I just did I look over and I it's happening in this service so no need to reference there's Matt Davis looking at his brother saying it's him you just did that didn't you I saw it. In the early service, Todd Miller's family was sitting here, and as soon as I said it, they went all down the aisle and pointed to the son and said, it's him. <laughs> Golden child is that child that seems to be favored, isn't it? It's the mom or dad's favorite. In his book, The Smart Step Family, Ron Deal claims, are you ready for this, that it takes seven years for a blended family to come together and feel connected. Seven years. Wow. Hadi Vey, whose husband died, and then she remarried. She had two boys, and she married a man who had one boy. She gave these six principles. I didn't put them on the screen. We'll get them out on Facebook later this week of blended families. As a parent of a child, a stepchild, she says, number one, give yourself grace. Don't be so hard on yourself. Number two, be the peacemaker of the home. Not the peacekeeper that just smooths everything over, but the peacemaker that steps in and makes sure that Things are dealt with. Number three, this I think is huge. Don't let feelings of resentment take root. Uh, Fourth, this I think is the hardest. Learn to love and appreciate their biological father or mother. That can be hard. Especially if there's a marriage, there's an affair, there's divorce, then you marry the man whose wife had a divorce, whose, whose wife had an affair on him, you're not going to think highly of that woman. Do you know what I've discovered through the years? I did youth ministry for several years. Number one, kids from these families tend, can be very resilient. Very. Some of the best kids I've ever worked with in my life. Number two is that if you struggle to like the mom or the dad, like the kid first. And when you struggle to like the mom or the dad, you'll go, well, this kid came from them. And that will help you. It really will. Five, keep rules, expectations the same for all children. Don't play favorites. Years ago, we... A young man moved into our home. He was 17. Our daughter was 17 at the time. And he came in and he was, he was homeless. He lived with us, I think, for about seven months. And Wendy and I began to love him like our very own. And then he began to break rules that were our rules for Hannah. And I remember when we looked at one another and said, he has to go. And we looked at him and said, we will not have rules for you that are these and rules for our daughter that are these. And we wept all weekend when we carried his bags out the front door and he left our home. Keep rules and expectations the same. Finally, have one-on-one time with children, including the ones who aren't yours, biologically. Step into their world. You may say, Jerry, what you're asking is impossible. How do I love a child who isn't biologically mine like I love my own child? I'm not trying to be over- theological here but you do it like Jesus loves you you do it like the Father loves you what's the most famous verse for God so the that he his only begotten boom that whoever believes in him would have life and have it abundantly so God gave Jesus his only son so that he can make you an orphan, a son or daughter, and love you like he loves Jesus. That's the gospel. Let me say it again. God gave Jesus his only son so that he can make you an orphan, a son or a daughter, and love you like he loves his son. Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as what? Sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. You can do it. As a Christian, Christian blended families ought to be the sweetest, the best, because they're saturated with the gospel. The gospel so infused of a Jesus, of a father who would give his own son. Third principle, siblings love one another humbly. Humbly. Now Joseph had a dream, nothing wrong with that. And when he told it to his brothers, everything wrong with that. This is not the dream to share. They already hate him because he's a snitch. Now a snitch is one thing, but a dreaming snitch, who wants to be around that guy? But he's a a snitch with a dream. And they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves. Just think of a stalk uh, of wheat in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Joseph said, I had a dream and wheat, yours bound down to my wheat. Well, if you're from old fort, I can put that in one sentence for you. I'm your daddy. That's what he was saying. I'm your daddy. We don't say that to people, especially your brothers, older brothers who already hate you. And that's what he did. And it didn't stop there, did it? He had another dream. Listen to the second dream. He dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Joseph, have you lost your mind? Uh, Don't you get the feeling that he's sticking it to them, right? That he's saying, hey, you thought that first dream, here's dream number two. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Well, the sun would be his dad, the moon would be his mom, the 11 stars would be his 11 brothers. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. We've got hatred, we've got jealousy, but his father kept the saying in mind. Joseph wearing his multicolored coat was the golden child. His brothers hated. Parents, your children will learn how to love one another by how you love them. You set the love quotient in your home. And what Jacob never intended to do, I'm sure, was to make life miserable for the son he loved the most. But that's what he ended up doing. Well, what happened? Years passed. Within not many years of Joseph telling the dream, he went over to visit his brothers in the field. And when they saw him, their hatred and jealousy had so welled up, they said to one another, let's grab him, we'll kill him. One of the brothers said, No, we can't do that. They threw him in a pit. They ripped that coat of many colors off of him, they dipped it in some blood. Some folks coming through, headed to Egypt. They grabbed Joseph out of that deep pit, pulled him up, sold him as a slave into Egypt, took that bloody uh, multicolored coat back to their father, Jacob, looked at Jacob and said, we found Joseph's coat. An animal must have killed him. Jacob grieved over the death of his son. Joseph heads to Egypt. He ends up in Potiphar's house as a slave. And when he does, Potiphar's wife thinks he's good looking. She tries to seduce him. He refuses. He runs from her. She frames him. It makes it look like that he raped her. That's what she tells. And some of you thought the Bible was boring. He is unfairly imprisoned. He's there, interprets a couple of dreams, stays a little longer in prison when Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time, has a dream and nobody can interpret it and somebody in his court in the palace says, I remember a guy in prison. Joseph comes out, and when he does, he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. There will be seven years of plenty. There will be many crops for seven years. There will be seven years of famine. There will be no food for seven years. Pharaoh says, what should we do? Joseph says, for the seven years of plenty, save up. Build granaries, store food, so that for the seven years of famine, people won't starve. Pharaoh says, Who 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 will oversee this for me? It's Joseph. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt, the second most powerful man on the planet. And what happens? Back in his homeland, where his grieving father and aged mother and his eleven brothers are, they run out of food too. But they hear that there's food over in Egypt. They come to Egypt and they ask for food and they don't know it's Joseph they're talking to, but he recognizes them. He's grown up. He's in stately, kingly robes. And they ask for food. He doesn't at first reveal himself to them. There's a back and forth, and finally he does. And he feeds them. And then he asks Pharaoh could he move his dad, his aged dad, his aged mother? Could he move them all to Egypt? And they come. And then Jacob dies. And Genesis 50 picks up where Jacob dies. Notice how long the fear and jealousy and confusion persisted. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers in their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Notice how Joseph responded when his brothers are begging him for mercy. Joseph didn't gloat. Joseph didn't say, I told you so. Joseph, in the most esteemed position, is now humble. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him. Anybody remember a dream? His brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Get up. Do not fear. Naphtali, get up. Dan, bring it in. No, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? I'm Joseph, second most powerful man on the planet, but I'm still Joseph. I'm not God. And then this statement that has reverberated now for centuries, but Joseph said to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Does he what? What's the word? Say it loud. Does he what? Comforted them. And spoke how? Kind. Joseph has changed. He's a humble prime minister. And out of that came this statement that I have often sat in my office across from someone and quoted when they're going through unthinkable suffering, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for That's redemption, isn't it? That's the gospel. You may look at your blended family and think we're such a mess and there's no fixing it. But I'm just guessing you're not dealing with 12 sons, four wives, and a murder plot. (laughs) God can change any family, including... Amen. He can. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I don't know how many people in this room it has occurred to, I'm sure several, that you yourself were born into a blended family. God, as your father, Joseph as a surrogate dad, and then Joseph and Mary parented other other children. I, I don't know if it has occurred to folks especially in blended families in this room it, that that your own brothers doubted you, mocked you, and didn't believe you until you died and resurrected. You know how we feel. You walked in our shoes. You died our death, but you rose from it that we might be adopted sons and daughters into the family of God. I pray for all those in this room who are in blended families. Lord, I pray that the gospel would just saturate them right now. That the good news of you, Jesus, and of your love, Father, and of the Spirit's work in the union of their marriage cause them to be reminded that you specialize in redeeming. Jesus, I love you. Pray this in your name.